What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Culture Binge, the Wisecrack Podcast, where we explore everything going on in the cultural zeitgeist. I am Michael, uh, joined as always by the Dr. Fauci of Wisecrack's virus research team, Alec. Alec, how are you today? Hey, how's it going? Uh, and Wisecrack researcher and overwhelming fan favorite, Serby. Serby, how are you today? <laughs> Hi. Hey. Um, it feels like we haven't been here for a while. Is it true that it's only been two weeks, or is there some gap that I forgot about? I think it's about? been three. Okay. We last week. That makes me feel less crazy. Um, so we're excited to be back. There's obviously a lot to talk about because somehow the world keeps turning even when we are not podcasting. Um, so to get started, we're going to keep going with this trend. Um, we're cutting out chaps still because the world is a chap unto itself. So we're just going to hit some slaps, let you know things that we've been enjoying that are making us happy. So let's start with Serby. Serby, what's something that's slapping, that's bringing joy to your life, that's helping you forget about the giant chap that is the world? Our fans. I love all the emails that we get, and there are so many wonderful recommendations. Um, Dude Abides is always, he's a big a friend of Wisecrack, and he always has something interesting to say during the podcast. Um, I think a few weeks ago, he recommended that I watch international shows, and that has brought me so much joy. Ross from DC wrote a really interesting email a couple weeks ago. The professor who shares his experiences at his university, that's always really interesting. So I just, it's always such a delight when I open my inbox, and there's a email from a fan makes me really happy wow wow that was really sweet i think now now i feel bad that mine isn't that sweet um alec what is yours before i get there uh the chat's accidentally disabled we're gonna fix that for all of you live viewers right now no keep them away i I planned this intentionally the fans are great you cannot tell us anything no um so i found the greatest most wholesome instagram ever it's an Instagram page devoted to microscopic videos of germs and shit. Uh, I've got a video clip. It's called Jam and Germs, and everyone can search it. But, but Joy, can you put that clip up? Ew. <laughs> uh, for everyone listening and not watching, what we're seeing here is a tardigrade. Those are tiny little water bears. They're microscopic. They can live in the vacuum of space and all this crazy shit. I find them adorable. Apparently, Burns thinks they're disgusting. But the Instagram page is full of like all kinds of weird shit that comes under a microscope and sometimes it's horrifying that this stuff is probably crawling on our skin but i really like it and there's nice little descriptions and it was just it's just been a, a wholesome part of my week a mama I'm really happy for a you bear. why do they do you know why they call them bears because it looks like a little so baby bear looks like a bear okay maybe i'm gonna follow that so i can get more comfortable with the fact that i'm a living species in an organic world that's full of all types of weird things like that do those i but, bet that thing is on your skin right now i was about yeah, to I ask actually yeah. know that. i remember in school when they taught us that things like lived on us i couldn't sleep <laughs> for like two nights because i would just i kept feeling things crawling in my skin it was it was horrifying but uh i'm gonna get better at that so everyone check out jam and germs um okay i'll be quick uh and i I will uh second serby here a little bit i love our fans and recently yeah i've had some great wisecrack fans who have who have hit me up on uh, on instagram in particular and and shared great thoughts and been funny and nice and kind and sometimes bullied me in a nice way um so i really appreciate that and love you guys a lot Um, my slap is going to be the new hbo show how to with john wilson 
don't know if anyone else has seen this. It's a new kind of like absurd found footage docu-series type thing, executive produced by Nathan Fielder of Nathan For You Mm. fame, where this filmmaker named John Wilson explores New York City with his camera and um, answers uh, sort of age-old questions like how to have a better memory, how to put up scaffolding, uh, how to start a conversation and be good at small talk. And he starts with these very small things and it goes very interesting places. Uh, For example, the most recent episode, he starts exploring the question of how do you have a better memory? And he ends up at a conference in a hotel in Ketchum, Idaho for the Mandela Effect Society, meeting people who who believe in the Mandela Effect. So I don't know, check it out. And I find it kind of uh, this sort of like documentary absurdism is nice right now. It's kind of weird. It was filmed in the pre-COVID world. So it's a good one. So check it out if you can. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I think I think you all might like it. I think I think the Culture Binge family in general might like it. Um, now we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic: college exams. We're going to talk about vaccines. We're going to talk about what it means to go home or not for the holidays. But first, I just want to remind everyone: if you like what we do here, um, subscribe, review. Give us five stars, like it on whatever podcast service you use. And maybe if you're a social media person, tell your friends. That would be cool. We'd really appreciate it. So do that if you get a chance, um, and then we'll do something for you in return. So let's get into it. Time is of the essence. Serby, you're going to start off by telling us about the weird, new, dystopian world of college exams. Yes. So university students have had a tough time of it, like we all have but their situation is a little bit more unique. So they've had to move out of their dorms really quickly. They've had to transition to online learning. And a new thing came about, which is exam monitoring software. So I first learned of this a couple months ago from my cousin who's in his third year of university. And he was telling me how stressful it is to take his uh, college exams. So many universities have contracted with Uh, exam proctoring companies that have this software that basically um, it's it's highly intrusive so respondus is one such company and they track your head and eye movements they track your mouse clicks and if you press the keyboard button um, they record sound in your room and they even lock down your device so that you're unable to access the internet or access any any other uh information or other browsers other than the one designated for your exam. Um, Some software goes a step further and they require you to do a 360 degree scan of the room in which you're testing to ensure that there are no study materials or other people in the room. And understandably, many students are angry about this highly intrusive measure to prevent cheating. And some critics point that This software harms low-income students who may not have access to a personal computer. They may not have a webcam. um, And students with disabilities are also impacted because they might have special needs that are not accommodated by the software. Um, Students with children or other dependents are also upset about this because they may need to avert their eyes from the computer, which could trigger an abnormality and raise a student's uh, suspicion level. And students state that this software discriminates against people of color because facial recognition technology has trouble recognizing people with darker skin tones, um, particularly women of color. So there are people 
who have tried to uh, verify their identification multiple times. Um, and some software is so strict that if it's unable to successfully complete a facial recognition, students will fail the exam. So I am so angry and disturbed by this software. I can understand the need to cut down on cheating, but I've taken, I've, I've been in school. I love being a student. Um, and I see how lax faculty members are in monitoring students during in-person exams. They're on their phones, they're on their computers or reading a book. And I've seen students cheat like by looking at their phones, they keep notes on their desks, they even ask other students uh, for answers. And all of these actions have been overlooked because the professors are preoccupied. So if faculty members don't invest this much interest in preventing cheating during in-person exams, I think it's a bit rich for them to suddenly be so committed to this uh, when students are doing remote learning. Um, I also have strong concerns about the data and privacy invasion. So I'm curious what you two think before I, I share more about how I feel. I mean, as, as a former uh, university professor, I will say, I do have intel from some friends that are still in the service that they are working to subvert these things and be on the side of their students and not these bullshit monitoring apps. And I, I don't know, I, I find it really upsetting. And as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but thinking like of emails I would be writing to a department chair saying things like, fire me if you want, but I'm not going to do this 1984 shit to my students. Um, I just hate it. And I, I hate the idea that that in general, like the, the teleology of education still comes down to like the exam or the paper or whatever, and not a comprehensive view of, of learning and discussion and dialogue and becoming an engaged person. And then the other thing I was thinking of until you said the 360 thing is the whole time I was thinking, huh, if I was doing that right now, wouldn't I just print out giant pieces of paper and put them on the wall across from me? So my eye line could be right there and I could see all the answers. Um, but it sucks. And after I want to look up you know, what the sort of unified response by academics has been. And I would imagine it's like the business professors and who else? I imagine it's like certain departments that are really into this. And I would imagine it's like the humanities professors that are like rubbing their crystals together and making sure their students don't have to do this. Um, but I'm mad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that it's business. But when I was in business school, I had to take exams at home. Mm -hmm. And my professors were chill about it. They were like, yeah, you have 60 minutes, yeah. like, email me back. So, and they didn't care and nobody said anything about cheating. I mean, possibly because it's, you know, it's a graduate school yeah. and we're adults. And well, yeah, and sorry, did this come up at all in what you were reading? Is this a thing that's coming from like the administrative level or do you know if this is like departments themselves making these decisions? Both. Okay. And some professors even go a step further and they require you to, they require students to hold up a camera or hold up a mirror to show the front of the, to show the screen to ensure that nobody has like post-it notes or other um, like little like notes and like things that they can cheat. It's with. ridiculous. We just can't, I just, I'm so upset. Alec, you should talk cause I'm just going to rant. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder, I wonder about what is the value of exams to begin with. And I know, uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot of the details at hand, but I know there was a big fiasco with the bar exam and like they're doing it online. It was a big shit show. And, the, and 
there's like lots of problems with people not being able to leave their computer or get on. And so just the idea, for example, of the bar exam being this, you need to sit in this room for hours and hours and hours uh, and do this thing to become a lawyer. Is that even connected to like, is it that useful for actually training lawyers? And I think in general, we can ask that question about test uh, in that, you know, I'm not saying tests are, are worthless or, or anything like that. I think for some people, it's a good motivation to sort of learn the material. But what is it? Like, I know Michel Foucault, the French philosopher, created this like rogue school in France with his philosopher friends and they lost their accreditation because they refused to give tests or grades. Uh, I went to a school that was very much like anti, we, we got grades, but basically you got an A as long as you showed up. Um, and I, I was always the person that like, I was a good test taker. So people would often cheat off of me. Uh, and the people who cheat off me are doing great. One's an engineer. She makes probably way fucking more money than I do. I think she's very good at her job, but she cheated on me all the time in high school physics and she's doing great. I have another friend who I think works at the department of health who is constantly cheating on me in economics class. I think, you know, that's one part of it. The other part is I think especially for non-college students in in high school, middle or you know all of the sort of pre-college, uh, basically all your rights are stripped as a child because there's this concept called in loco parentis, which is like you don't have the same sort of rights you do in the world at a school because the school takes the, the role of your parents and they can basically strip you of all these civil liberties and all this shit. It's something that always sort of bothered me, um, but especially when they're contracting with tech companies, uh, I've heard from teachers even years ago, like there was software where like an algorithm would serve up serve kids up news articles uh, and sort of track like how fast it took them to read them and you know again sort of curate these things and it just raises all kinds of questions about tech companies monitoring your child's behavior and sort of letting their proprietary algorithms guide their education in a way that I think like 99.9% of these companies are full of shit. Like they have some black box algorithm that doesn't actually do the thing it says it does. And then they're collecting data on you the whole time. And so I think the testing is just an extension of this, of, you know, maybe college kids uh, are maybe more able to sort of fight back and their professors are a little more chill about it. But especially like in a high school where they have no rights and teachers are paid shit and are just terrified of losing their jobs. Like it really worries me. Yeah, I think it, this involves like a misunderstanding of what humans are and how they work. Because I mean, even if I was taking an exam remotely, I might want to like get up and do a lap around my room to like brainstorm or think about something. I might lean back in my chair. I might like sip a coffee. And I don't know, this reminds me of a time where I was working someplace where I was responsible for, for having some writers under me that were contract workers. And the company I worked at wanted to insist that every writer had monitoring software on their computer to watch them. And I like threw a shit fit and was just like, <laughs> no, I was like, it's totally fine. If someone's writing some shit for us and they take a five minute break to look at something online or they brainstorm or they do something, I was like, that's fine. That's weird. I want them to be doing that. And this just like makes me think that we're moving in this direction where in both, I think we're seeing this in, in work already, but now in education, we're going to treat human beings like they're algorithmic robotic things uh, that can only focus one way. And it's the thing that's real fucked up about this is we know we live in an era where we're training people to not have attention. We're training people to like be all over the place. And then we're going to expect them to be these sort of like focused robots. I just hate it. Yeah. It's, it's real black mirror shit. It really is. And there seems to be no, no stopping this. Oh. Yeah. I, I think the problem is that like tech companies come to schools and they're like, they come up with some bullshit indicators like our our 
do you want to stop 50% of cheating? And they're like, Oh, okay. I guess they're like, do you want to make your kids like 5% more illiterate? And they're like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess like, I don't know how you're making those claims, but I'll fucking write a $10,000 check. And it's just a nightmare. And, and of course, who's paying for this? You know what I mean? When these con- when these companies come to these universities to contract out software like that, when developers come to take over student housing, whatever it is, this, this is a reason why tuition keeps going up. And the very students who are going into debt to pay for this shit, their loan money is paying for the same software that's making their lives horrible. I'm mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interestingly, there was a study that said that students... Um, so they compared students who do uh, who take exams with the software and without the software. There's only like a two point difference. So it's not like everybody's like cheating if they're not being supervised. Like it's it's not a big deal. Um, I can understand if you're taking like an entrance exam, like an MCAT or an LSAT or something like that. But when it comes to like a, like a midterm, do we need to go to this extreme? Should I like sacrifice my privacy and data to assuage my professor's concerns that I didn't look at my textbook? Yeah. I mean, even like for the MCAT or it's sort of entrance exams, I mean, if the goal is to say, do you have this requisite knowledge that you need to succeed here? Like, I guess. But at the same time, I think it's often like, do you have the most merit, but like rich people can just pay for tens of thousands of dollars worth of tutors. And so it's not really merit anymore. It's just like, how much money do your parents have? Or like, do you not have to work a, a second or third job? You know? Well, and why, why would you cheat on the MCAT anyways? Cause like, even if you cheat on it and you get in, you're fucked once you're there. If you don't know <laughs> yeah. anything, I hear med school is not a, a cakewalk. And I just think that's the difference, right? If you're, I don't know, like I think a couple times as an undergrad, I cheated a little bit on, Oh, whatever I'll say it um and in like a math class I took because I was really bad at math so a friend like helped me with it yeah but like I'll be honest kids didn't affect my life went to grad school and did just fine because isn't I knew that I wasn't going to do math and I knew that I lived in an era where we had technology um but of course it's not like I would cheat in graduate school because like what would be the point of that if I'm spending my life doing this and I think most lawyers and doctors and and biologists or whoever aren't cheating because because they actually give a shit about this and want to make it their career. And they know how to Google things, which is not part of the test-taking structure. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. Okay. And, Serbia, I'm gonna, can you think of one positive to any of this? I want to see if you can devil's advocate the whole process. No. I think – I can't think of a single positive thing. I mean, it's not like you could say something like, oh, well, it helps students. Yeah. Like, learn how to use a new software tool like there's nothing i can't think of a single positive can you do it is there one positive you can think of here i i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna say like the good thing about tests is i think they're really good for learning a language because nothing's gonna motivate me to like read like 50 index cards with how to say hello and sneakers than an actual test wow okay so we will we'll do it for language stuff um and i think no positives um, but yeah, and we'll get to this later, of course, but if you are a current college student and if you're dealing with this, we would love to hear about it and we'll bug you about that later. There, okay. There's just one other thing. I also know that they're doing it for on-campus recruiting. So my cousin was saying that he has to log into the same sort of software and there's like an algorithm that will like track his answers. And depending on how well he performs on this like pre-interview, then he'll get an interview with a recruiter. This is a nightmare. Bonkers. Just bonkers. 
God, our world is, is the, the not last, good. The last thing I'll say, and there's a lot of writing about this if people want to check it out, is there is an algorithm to judge teacher performance. Uh, I think it's called the value added teaching model or something like that. Uh, it's complete bullshit. Uh, it, it, it doesn't work, but like people paid, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for this thing that just didn't work because there was no, there was no transparency in the algorithm. So they could say whatever the fuck they wanted to say. And a lot of good teachers were fired, but I think we should have these standards or the skepticism when it comes to like, who's getting into school in the first place. Yeah. God, being evaluated as a teacher sucks. Those are the worst afternoons of my entire life. Um, okay. So, um, Big news this week, I think something that uh, we all heard about, we all woke up to news about, we were very excited about, um, is news about this Pfizer vaccine trial. And they came at us with some pretty hot stats that I don't think anyone was expecting. And luckily, we have an expert uh, immunologist, virologist, vaccine expert. Stop saying that. That's really <laughs> <confuse> people. <laughs> Come do him with actual medical advice. Um, but Alec, uh, tell us what we need to know and what our expectation should be and all of your expert analysis about the COVID-19 vaccine news. Okay. I just want to say I'm not immune. Uh, I can't even say the fucking word to, to he's speak being to humble. He's just humble. Uh, I've just, I, I've, I've read uh, things and not like weird Google searching that anti-vaxxers do. But anyway, here, here's the basic premise uh, for anyone who, who doesn't know. Pfizer, along with BioNTech, which is a German company, uh, developed a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, they re- released a press release that said in they're in the middle of the trial, but they said so far it looks like it's 90% effective, which far exceeds uh, anything people people were expecting. Oh, maybe it's 60% effective. You know, basically you have a 60% chance of being protected against COVID if you get this vaccine, which again, 60% still good, but 90% is, is basically amazing. People are very excited. Uh, people are like, oh, is the end in sight? Just some sort of... Uh, I guess the, the boring stuff out of the way. Um, it's it's a vaccine that needs two doses. Um, it's an mRNA vaccine. That's messenger RNA, which we've never, uh, at least in, in humans, had a vaccine sort of distributed like that. Uh, and it's kind of cool because instead of saying like, hey, here's the dead virus or the live virus for your, anti, for your immune system to attack and learn how to attack, uh, it sends little messenger RNA into your cells that are like, okay, this gives me instructions to make this protein. That protein resembles the COVID-19 protein. And then your antibodies react to that protein uh, so you're turning you're turning your your own cells into this little factory of just this little tiny piece of the virus that your immune system can learn to fight, uh, which is really cool, but also is really shitty in a, a lot of ways. Just in that it's very hard to store; it has to be very cold. A lot of hospitals and places don't have specialized freezers to to properly store it, and so they're working on that. But it's also probably going to be a nightmare for distributing this in places like you know that are a little less developed, uh, even if that's rural places in America or rural villages in say like Africa. Or, or Russia or anything like that. Um, so, you know, there, there's good and bad. But what really interested me is um, I'm always very interested in, in, in bad science journalism. Uh, and I'm not saying any of the, the, the science journalism here is bad, but I think the way that this is getting interpreted is uh, should lead to some, some skepticism. Um, there's a, actually a, pr- a pretty good Vox article um, which criticizes the idea of science by press release. Um, and now... So the, the way the vaccine or any drug process works is there's a trial. Uh, that trial publishes the results. They get scrutinized. Um, there have been problems uh, with COVID-19 vaccine research in that uh, things were a little bit opaque. And basically, there was a lot of pressure saying, hey, Pfizer, all these other companies are getting all this public money. 
you need to show what is the actual process of these trials so that like other scientists can scrutinize them. And that, that, that that's happening now. Um, but what Pfizer did instead of finishing the trial and saying, here's the results, we're going to publish them in a peer-reviewed place, and then everyone's going to scrutinize them, they released a press release that said, hey, we're not going to show you the exact specific results for you to scrutinize. We're just going to say it's 90% effective. Trial's not done. Now, I'm not saying that this means the vaccine is automatically bad or anything. Eventually, they will need to go to that process of publishing it and getting scrutinized by scientists. And I think at that point, like I sort of trust the process. There's lots of good scientists who are, you know, uh, aware of the fact that this is sort of a rushed process and we need to make sure that it's as safe as possible. So I don't want to freak anyone out. I don't think anything like that, as long as the process is allowed to go through, is going to happen. At the same time, they released this press release. Their stock market, their their stock price skyrockets and their CEO sells a bunch of that stock. Now there's basically conspiracy theory-esque being like, you know, he knows maybe the the long-term, like it's maybe not 90% effective. Maybe it's only 60 or 70% effective. And he's, he's dumping the stock before that comes out. I, I, I don't, there's, there's no evidence to support that except that it's just shady as hell. But this Vox article talking about, this is a larger problem of, of science by press release. Uh, even in COVID-19, there have been lots of cases of things that are very hyped through press releases, and then the process happens, and then that hype gets deflated. So this is from the article back in May, Moderna, another company with a coronavirus vaccine that's far along in clinical trials, put out a press release about promising phase one results while it first caused many the, the first caused the company's stock valuation to swell. Vaccine researchers point out in stat that the information in the press release was far too preliminary and vague to gauge whether the vaccine was actually working. Also, Remsetivir in April, the National Institute of Health announced via press release some promising results for hospital patients. Later, further studies complicated the picture of the drug's effectiveness, and today it's not clear that Remsetivir carries any benefit. Uh, this was touted by many people sort of in the press and in government as basically a, a cure, or not even a cure, but you know, a, a wonder drug in the case of COVID. Uh, and the article goes to talk about um, uh, Regeneron drug REGN-CoV-2, which President Trump called a cure in October. Most of what we know about its effectiveness comes from a September 29th press release about a multi-phase random double-blind clinical trial involving only 275 people. It's a very small number. The Pfizer trials are in the tens of thousands of peoples. Um, and so, again, this isn't People might hear a lot of anti-vaxxer types saying like, oh, the process is fucked, don't trust it. And I'm not saying that, uh, but I'm saying uh, there there might be some hype that gets deflated by the process. So I think, you know, not to be a buzzkill, don't get too excited. Wow. Wow. Now that we all feel bummed. Um, no, so, so here's a question about all of this. Um, and I agree with you that like, I'd rather have them say that it's going to be like 60% and it ends up being 80% than have them say it's going to be 90% and ends up being 70% because happiness is the management of expectations. Um, but here's a question. What is going to happen if, because what, there's multiple companies working on vaccines, right? And there's there's a good chance that multiple companies will have FDA approved vaccines. Is this going to create a situation where like, people are calling their doctor to be like, oh, I want the Pfizer, not the Moderna. Which one do you have? And creates this weird like marketplace um, around these things in which people are like, ooh, which vaccine did you get? I think that the- Take them all. <laughs> take, just inject them all inside. inside. Yeah. Everything. Uh, <laughs> I think there was kind of some discourse around that this press release was 
intentional in that sense and that there is a lot of competition and there's going to be a lot of money for the first person out the door or the one that immediately looks more promising. And so I don't actually know about the specifics. Uh, I was reading a New York Times article about basically how it gets distributed, where the government has to sort of help distribute it. Is it getting sent to hospitals? Is it getting sent to nursing homes? The storage thing is a huge problem. Uh, will people have to travel to go to these sort of centralized storage places? And I think it gets, so that that's what I do know. And I think it gets even more complicated of like, okay, if there's multiple, are like different states getting different things? Are they just going for the first person? And I don't know, but if it was a situation where there was multiple options, I would not be surprised of basically pharmaceutical fuckery being like, you know, seeing ads for trust our vaccine the most, which I think is is shitty and bad, um, especially when they have an incentive to sort of hype results. And also it's worth noting that Pfizer has settled massive, massive mis, uh, uh, fraud claims for mismarketing their drugs. I, I've always been cautiously optimistic about a vaccine. Like I do think that there will be a vaccine, um, but I'm never really too excited when I see something in the news about it because it still has to go through the peer review process. It still has to um, be distributed. So I just try to take it like with a grain of salt, like, yeah, eventually we'll get there, but I'm not involved. So I'll just hang back until I have more info yeah. and everything is settled. I think like the scariest thing with all this too is, and, and I get why our dumb human brains do this, but you know, I've known people that for months we've heard, you know, there might be a vaccine by late 2020, early 21. Um, and I think people's minds just go, cool. Well, whatever day it's approved, I'll automatically have it inside my body and it'll be there. And I think a lot of people's brain doesn't then jump to just cause it's approved. You know, it could be six months until I have access to this thing. And there was a, I forget who wrote it. There was an editorial in the New York times this week by two, two doctors or scientists that's kind of saying like, Hey, the reaction to this shouldn't be everything's fine. Let's be reckless. Now, if anything, it should be, let's tighten up as much as possible. Um, so that when this does become available, we're in a good place. And, uh, you know, Dr. Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota, uh, who I guess is, is a part of the, you know, the next presidential task force on COVID, you know, he put out a statement yesterday that said something to the effect of like, the best thing to do, even with a vaccine, is a four to six week lockdown, get numbers as low as possible, keep that tight. So that then when we get a vaccine, it's able to be much more effective, much quicker. And I think there is that fear that hearing news like this makes people preemptively reckless or act as if like the magical cure is on the way. Yeah. And, and I think everyone, public health officials are, are worried about that. And I do want to clear up one thing in the comments. Everyone's like, this isn't a Pfizer vaccine. This is a German vaccine. And also I think the, the creators specifically are like uh, immigrants, maybe from Turkey or, or, yeah, or somewhere. Uh, so yes, uh, it, it is developed by a German company who didn't have the know-how or the resources to do large-scale clinical trials so they partnered with Pfizer who, who did all that stuff um so I, I don't mean to try to take all of the glory to the American Pfizer because uh Pfizer sucks but uh to your point yeah I mean the the greatest thing with a, a, a vaccine like if we the way that outbreaks of normal diseases often works let's say like smallpox or or even you know polio in countries that don't have a lot of polio is oh there's an outbreak and you know there's a confirmed case this person who later developed smallpox walked into bar we're going to find every person who's in that bar and give them this vaccine and then you're talking about inoculating a handful of people instead of hundreds of millions of people and so right now you know anthony fauci said something to the effect of you know we expect to hopefully get this vaccine to everyone uh, uh, by April. But, you know, again, through this like 
huge, huge, huge public infrastructure, huge investment. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but like if we were in a better place uh, where there was less cases, we could do basically a containment strategy and then we wouldn't have to be sitting inside all day, not seeing our family for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Sorry. Go ahead, Serby. I'm really nervous to take the vaccine. So I don't have, my body doesn't react well to vaccines. Um, like when I took the hep A vaccine, I had hives for two years. Two years? Covering covering my entire body um, constantly. So it wasn't just like, oh, I had it for like a couple hours. Like it was 24-7 for two years I had hives. And when I take the flu vaccine, I have a lot of problems with that as well. And so I'm so nervous to take the COVID vaccine. You should you should talk I'm, to your you should talk to your doctor. And because for instance, the flu vaccine, the flu vaccine is incubated, I think, in chicken eggs, and some people are allergic to it. And so there's like hypoallergenic versions of the vaccine. If anyone has reactions to stuff, that could be why. And so people do can have whether sometimes they get fever, sometimes they get rash, stuff like that. Uh, these are all sort of expected things from vaccines. But like, talk to your doctor. Cite your concerns. And also, uh, there was a, a published article that said people uh, for this was about mRNA vaccines in general, basically theorized that people with autoimmune issues may have issues with mRNA vaccines specifically. I'm not a doctor. I didn't vet this article. Talk to your fucking doctor. Even if you're worried about allergic reaction, Serbi or whoever is listening, talk to your doctor. They're going to know better than strangers on the internet. Talk to your doctor. I mean, even if you, <laughs> even if you're fine with this and you're just feeling lonely, talk to, talk to your doctor. Even if you want to talk about sports, talk to your doctor. Relationship advice. So talk yeah, Serby, totally justified to feel for, feel nervous if you've had you know previous problems in the past. Uh, talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor. But maybe maybe Serby, this is one of those hopeful things where having a bunch of different companies working about it, it will, will have different options and you will be able to talk to your physician and they'll be able to say, hey, Pfizer, maybe not for you, but the Walmart one, really good for you. And the Amazon version is, is going to be the best one for you. Because mark my words, next pandemic, Bezos will be making the vaccine or paying for it. I also want to say too, Alec, just with, with talking about Pfizer, I do feel like we. I, I'm trying to like mentally wall off my hatred and that this the scientists who are the, like the researchers are awesome it's just like the damn company that takes their research and turns it into a profit-making thing are the ones i feel like we can yeah totally at. and that's yeah. the thing i wish anti-vaxxers understood is like there's this like evil infrastructure but like the the science when science you know the evil infrastructure causes some not great things but like science is still you know, we've got peer review. We have independent scientists who can publish articles being like, hey, you're, you're doing a fraud here. Stop doing that. And uh, yeah. yeah, as I learned in the movie Contagion, most researchers are good. Um, it's everyone else is bad. OK, so unless there's any other thoughts on this. Um, cool. I will segue then. So this this relates. We'll, we'll kind of stay on COVID, but mellow out a little bit. Um, an issue and a thing that is coming up is the holidays. Um, and normally during the holidays, we, we get excited. We get on overcrowded airplanes that are delayed and we go stay in a room that we don't like anymore in a bed that's too small to hang around family members that are low-key racist, but we laugh and put up with it or whatever it might be. Um, this year, the holidays are complicated. And there's an article in particular uh, that was published in Vice a couple weeks ago called How to Tell Your Family You're Not Coming Home for the Holidays that deals with the issue of 
familial expectations versus individual feelings of safety, health, and just basically like making good decisions around Thanksgiving and then Christmas. Um, now, I don't know about about you all. Um, I'm, I feel lucky because I've not been pressured to go home or go anywhere for the holidays. So I haven't had to like come up with lies. But I do know a lot of people who maybe their parents don't take things as seriously. Um, and I've definitely encountered a lot of people who magically think that you can't get sick from someone you're related to. Because I've heard multiple times people say like, oh, no, no, but we're family. Um, yeah, as if, their germs yeah. are my germs. Like, yeah, we have the this, same blood. It's a real thing. <laughs> and I've like, I've given shit to people who are like, no, 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 but it's it's okay because it's like, it was my mom and sister. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. Just cough in their mouths then. Um, but so I think a lot of people are dealing with this right now. So I thought this article was interesting and sort of talking through ways you can do this. So they, they give you some advice for if you are struggling to talk to your family. They give you lines you can say, like, you know, traveling and celebrating the holidays during a pandemic is incredibly risky for a number of reasons, and I'm just not comfortable doing it. If you don't wanna be that honest, it doesn't make sense for me to spend this much time, money, energy to make this trip. This one I really like. I get so few days off, and I'd like to use them to relax and recharge, not to travel to my boring hometown. And then this isn't all of them. All of these um, sound awful, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, saying yeah. like it's good to give excuses, but none of these yeah. work. But I like this one too. Um, it says, insert sibling, hasn't spent the holidays with family every single year and it's been okay. So like throw a sibling under the bus. Um, now, of course, like I think that these, some of these excuses seem silly, but I think they're here for like a reason because I think no matter how maybe smart or realistic your family is about this, people get their feelings hurt. And I think I think a lot of us might feel pressured to do things we don't want to do because we don't want to let our family down or whatever it is. So I thought the most interesting uh, thing in this advice in this article is to like be wait, how do they phrase this? Um, it says be firm and honest while still being kind. So it tells you you can be honest uh, while still being kind. And then it gives you some clues, uh, some tips on what to say about the coronavirus as well. But, I mean, I wanted to ask you all because I know I, I think we're entering into this era that a lot of people have been freaked out by where things were getting better in the fall. But then it was like, uh-oh, Halloween, a lot of people are going to get together no matter what. And that will be a little spread. Then Thanksgiving people, especially in the colder states, are going to cram together inside and have little super spreader parties with cranberry sauce. And that will be a whole thing. And then, you know, the winter holidays, Christmas, then into New Year's, it's like two months of, you know, a super spreader event every three weeks. And I think this is especially pertinent now that with the news that came out that Chicago is going to shut down completely uh, for a month, which means Thanksgiving is is technically canceled. Um, So what do you all think about sort of the the home for the holidays pressure has this affected you at all do you think there's any smart way to do this oh, let's let's start with that i'm curious what what are what are y'all situations with with home for the holiday family pressure serbia is the most socially adjusted person what do you think so thanksgiving is not like a big deal in my family and i have some local family that i'll like my grandparents like they don't go out of the house i don't go out of the house so i'll probably see them for thanksgiving um Christmas is a huge celebration in my family. I think like 50 to 60 people usually get together. So that hasn't been discussed this year. Um, But I could see around December a WhatsApp message going out that's like, hey, why don't we all self-isolate and get together? Um, But I, 
I'm I'm very honest and very transparent. Maybe it makes people uncomfortable too. So I would have no problem saying that's fucking stupid and I don't feel comfortable doing that. My mom is a lot more gracious. So she would likely say something like, oh, unfortunately, that won't work out for us this year. Like, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, um, that's fair. That's very fair. I, I think, though, that like it really depends on your family and you can't be honest. Like some families are horrible. Like you can't say I don't feel comfortable traveling with a pandemic. You have to lie. The thing that I run into is like a a grandparent asked me if I was coming. This was like a month ago. Like, so you guys aren't coming down for Thanksgiving, are you? Uh, But it was kind of like an invitation. And I was, and I said, no, but I wanted to be like, no. And how dare you? (laughs) Like, You live in Florida, which is a nightmare currently. Um, So there's that. Um, I think the, the other tricky thing is going to be, and this is going to get trickier, the larger the gathering is, is like people in my family were like, oh, let's all quarantine for two weeks and then spend Christmas together. Uh, and at first I was like, yeah, that, that might be okay. And then I started to think about it and I just think people, people aren't aware of the things that they are do that they're doing that are risky behavior. Like people's ideas of quarantine might be different. And like when it's just about like a couple members of my direct family, like I have a pretty good sense of like, I'm pretty sure this person thinks quarantining means like eating outside at restaurants and like getting his haircut like 13 times. So like, even if he says he's quarantining, like I don't trust it. And then there's other stuff like that. But then when you're talking about like, let's say 20 people, it like what level that's a person I know. Then there's the, the people that you don't know, like, you know, is your grandma having a poker night with her like 18 friends, but that for some, that they're in a, they're in a bubble, but not everyone knows that they're in a bubble together. And so that freaked me out. And even me personally, uh, I was like, Hey, I can quarantine for two weeks, but because I live in an apartment building, I really can't like truly quarantine and not leave the house because like I have to go in common areas to throw out trash and see people. Sometimes they're not wearing masks and just stuff like that. And so I, I think that's also what worries me is like, uh, we're quarantining, but no one's actually quarantining. (laughs) Yeah. And I think with that, I've heard some some friends and family talk about doing similar things. But then I'm like, well, if you're also not testing, then that just means nothing to me. Like if I had family that wanted to do a quarantine thing, I'm like, okay, well, then I would want everyone to like test at the beginning, test at the end um, and be really sure. But it just seems like in all the examples we've seen of people trying to do normal stuff, uh, and I hate to bring this up again, the only group that's made it work is the NBA. The only group. Um, all of these other professional sports leagues that are happening right now, whether it be, you know, soccer, football, baseball, I mean, it's not like they're being like idiots. These are multi-billion dollar organizations where they're testing rapidly every day. Everyone's pretty much doing their own thing. They have doctors on call and still there's outbreaks in NFL teams. There was outbreaks in MLB teams that it's still happening. The only way we've seen anyone get a hold of this is a super comprehensive, really gnarly quarantine bubble situation. And, and what I worry is that I think what we do with family or what I worry about is everyone self-exceptionalizes. So their family's the safe one. They're, they're, they're the good ones that no one has to worry about. And I think, you know, and it's a little like, silly to say, but when everyone exceptionalizes, <laughs> then there is no exception and everyone's putting themselves at risk. And I think the biggest thing that I worry about with, with Thanksgiving is it getting compounded by Christmas. So whatever spreads then goes there. But I still have sympathy for people, especially younger people, like college age people or people right out of college um, who might have pressure, who might not have had the thing yet where they've said, 
no to their family. So one thing that comes up in that Vice article is rather than being like, fuck you, you're stupid, I'm not doing it, is to suggest an alternative. So I think that is one thing people should think about. If you're going to say no, if you want to get out of it, maybe think of something else. Maybe come up with a fun uh, online thing to do. Maybe do some sort of like distanced outside thing if you can. I mean, in general, you shouldn't be doing stuff inside. But can you all think of any alternatives that people could do? Yeah, you can fucking lie and say you're not feeling well. <laughs> and you're concerned that you have COVID. There you go, guys. Or just say like, yeah, yeah, I would love to come to Christmas. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then don't ever book your ticket. Don't ever make plans to drive. And then like a week before, be like, I have a bad call. Well, just call your mom and be like, mom, <coughs> so <coughs> Christmas. And then see what she does. And she says, come home anyways. Your mom's a psychopath. Uh, we do have a quick correction from John who says uh, the NHL also did a successful bubble. Oh. Show some respect to the hockey, the best sport. That's John. I didn't say that. John, I'll say this. I like hockey a lot. I think it's a good sport. I don't think it's the best sport, but I think it's a really good sport. Um, and yeah, sorry, I did not. I did not did not acknowledge the NHL bubble. They did a good job as well. And I think their model was similar to the the uh, the NBA model. So sorry about that. Sorry to the entire uh, country of Canada as well. Um, thanks, John. And also, sorry to Mail, who's been donating. Thank you so much. Oh, Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, main gist here is we're all going to be good. You should all be good. And you know what? If How about this? If anyone needs help, um, you can email us, give us your specific scenario, and we will construct an out for you. Um, it might be uncomfortable. We might ask you to say something that is going to sever relationships, but we will give that to you. I will write an email to your mom or dad. Yes, we will write you (laughs) notes. You can say a a trio of noted podcast hosts have said, I can't come home and here's why. I'm fine with that. Also too, I'll just say this. This is what I've been trying to do. Hype up next year. If you need to tell your friends and family, say, hey, it really sucks. I wish we could all be together, but you know what? I just want to be safe so next year can be awesome. I want to be good now so we can be reckless then. And I think that's a helpful thing as well because you give them something to look forward to. Uh, Any other thoughts on this one before we move on? Saying no to your family is hard. so hard. So if you have to do that, I empathize. But you can do it. It's like a Band-Aid. It's it's so hard to say no to your family for the first time. But then you rip it off and then they're like, oh – Wow, someone's a grown-up now, and you'll get a little shit, but then you'll you'll earn their respect. So watch some mob movies and learn about how respect operates, and then just do that. Um, I learned how to deal with my family by watching Goodfellas. Um, okay, so, well, this relates then to the next thing I wanted to tell everyone. Um, along with wanting to give you tips for how to get out of hanging out with your family on the holidays. Um, We want to give you advice about anything or hear advice from you about anything or have you comment on things we're talking about or have you tell us things you want to hear us talk about and how can you do that? You can email us and you can call us. Okay. You can email us at culturebinge at wisecrack.co. No M. Drop the M. Okay. Culturebinge at wisecrack.co or call us. We love to hear your voices. 213-534-8807. That is 213-534-8807. Write us and call us with any type of inquiry, thought, comment, or help in mediating awkward family situations. Especially leave us a a voicemail. Our next episode is going to be after Thanksgiving, but if you need a Christmas excuse, let's do that. Call us. 
tell us your circumstances. We will create you an excuse. Yeah. Or what you could do is call us and then and then and then do like three-way calling, then call into your family. So you leave us a message that's you telling your family member <laughs> that you're not coming home, and then we'll hear yeah. their reaction. So if if someone can figure out how to do that, you would be a hero and a legend in your field, and we would put you on the culture binge uh, uh, family Mount Rushmore. Or BCC us on any emails you send to your family yes. telling them no. Get us involved. Or you know what? We could do a Skype thing where we set up a call and we brought... Listen, we'll make it weird. Help us do it. But that said, um, it's been a few weeks. Uh, we've heard from a lot of you. Al- Alec, what if what what if our family told us in the meantime? What sort of uh, calls and emails do we got this time around? Just emails this week, but we got three good ones. Well, two we three good ones. One of them's angry. So I'm excited for that. Uh, this first one's from Daniel... Uh, it says, hey, Wisecrack crew, up late listening to episode 40 and was struck with a realization of why Serby's segment on influencers asking for free shit feels so bad because it's a power imbalance. These influencers hold more power than the small business owner and feel predatory in their business trade because the small business doesn't have the knowledge to know what they will get in return for their deal and their participation will have relatively greater impact on them than the impact on a multi-million dollar company. The way which an, which an influencer ask is probably different than a, the way a Bill Murray type would ask entitlement versus humility. And we feel empathy and humanize the small business compared to the faceless evil capitalist corporation. And also to Michael's point, we often feel these influencers don't have skill to represent the business item they are to advertise as compared to an expert reviewing the quality of product. Yeah, thanks Dan. I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's a good point. And I feel like unless you have a background in like marketing or advertising, I'd really want to see what the ROI would be if I hire you as an influencer for my brand. Yeah. I do want to interject with just one amazing comment I saw. This is Rubish. Just tell your family they're horrible if they invite anyone and hang the phone. <laughs> Love it. If you have that bravery and courage, do it. Um and as to the the email from Dan as well, I was thinking about this because you know what I think is better than influencers, just like really good targeted advertising. I was with some friends recently who were just saying they bought a bunch of different products because they get targeted Instagram ads, and it's like hyper specific. If they're like wine nerds, it's like, oh, here's this cool new wine fridge thing, or here's this cool new outdoor fireplace. And at least that way, like I don't know, I'd rather see a targeted ad and read about it for myself then see some like, you know, loser jabroni tell me to get something because they got paid to have it. I got a target ad for a dog sleeping bag. I don't I don't own a dog, but I want to buy a dog just so I could get the sleeping bag. Also, I love dogs, so this isn't a weird animal neglect thing. Wow. It is weird to hear the algorithm fail. You know what this means though? The algorithm never fails, so you should be you should have no, a no, dog no. by every metric. It knows I like camping and also knows I like dogs. And so really, it's even more effective because now I'm thinking about getting a dog. Anyway. Wow. 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 What else do we got besides the algorithm predicting what you're going to do in the future? This is an email from uh, Maria, which uh, circulated all around the Wisecrack office. Uh, so last week we talked, or two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, we talked about Jeffrey Tubin, the New Yorker writer who was whacking it on a business call. Uh, he has now since been fired. The- yeah. Uh, some other stuff came out. Apparently he's like uh, got a pattern of creepiness in, in different ways, not necessarily masturbatory. Bad guy. Here's Maria's email. 
Hey, Culture Binge, I'm a longtime listener who's Argentinian but grew up in the States and am back in Buenos Aires. Now, on your last episode, you mentioned a man who jerked off on Zoom, and I couldn't help but share what happened here recently with a senator. During a virtual session of Congress on Zoom, he apparently also thought he had his microphone and video off and proceeded to greet a woman next to him by pulling down her shirt and kissing her exposed breast. The worst part was his apology, explaining that she had gotten breast enhancement surgery a few days ago. Oh, well, he I had to guess. resign, of course. The, the, the resignation, I think, surprises me. But anyway, uh, attaching an article so you can read more. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for your content. I'm such a big fan. Enjoy it so much. Love from Argentina. Wait, who is the person in relation to him? I think it was a girlfriend or a mistress. Okay. I don't, maybe it was his wife. But I feel like if it's your wife, that's unfortunate, but it's not like predatory. Yeah, in my mind, it was like, oh, this is like a consensual thing that doesn't seem like a man being an exhibitionist. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some countries just have higher standards for what their people in public office can do. And I'm not going to argue. With <laughs> I feel like if you wouldn't have told me the country, I would have completely thought that was from Italy. That just seems like a very Italian Yeah, it seems like something that. Berlusconi would do. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> should start dating Italian guys. <laughs> uh, well, Serbi, what do you think? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's not like, I mean, it was like a consensual thing. It was just like, Hey, how are you doing? Um, like if I saw that, I'd be like, Oh shit. But I wouldn't be like, fuck that guy. I feel violated. Yeah. Um, but, and there have been times where I've been on zoom calls with like very appropriate, inappropriate things where I have felt like that needs, that should be reported to HR. Um, but this is not something, I mean, I would probably immediately slack him and be like you need to fucking turn yeah. your camera off yeah i and i wonder too i would i want to know mo- more about this person if they were like a bad shitty politician that's great but what if they were like just man of the people R- yeah. a real a real hero for the working classes of argentina and then they get fired just because they appreciated their their wife but probably not they're probably a slime ball we'll look into <laughs> it but thank you that's like the best email ever uh yeah, thank you so much, Maria. Uh, send us more emails about crazy shopping. Yes, Maria, can you be our, our Buenos Aires culture correspondent? Anything cool or zany happening in Argentina, just let us know. Uh, the last email is from Ryan. Uh, Ryan sent us a pretty salty email, but Ryan said that he is generally a fan. So I was like, you know what? Ryan said something nice and then said a bunch of mean things. And so I will read part of Ryan's email. The other part is yelling at me for hiking. I don't want to get into that. It'll be a whole thing. But here's Ryan's email. Uh, I was listening to your cult philosophy podcast today. I want to say uh, I'm generally a big fan of everything wisecrack, especially you two, Michael and Alec. Where's the Serbia love, Ryan? But that's okay. But I have to say I'm an extraordinarily disappointed in your blindness to reality when it comes to the uh, topic regarding the dating scene. Uh, Ryan believes it's hilariously naive. The AIDS epidemic in the 80s also had an effect, even arguably a long-term effect on dating, but it didn't lead people to abandon romantic interactions with strangers. I understand that being in long-term relationships for so long must have estranged you two from the reality of the dating world, but spontaneity isn't going away anytime soon. That's the one thing I want to talk about in this email because I, I thought I genuinely like emails. We're often talking on the fly about I'm, I'm not a dating expert. As Ryan pointed out, I've been in a relationship and, and am disconnected from this world. So we love well-intentioned criticisms of what we're doing. But Serbi, as the token single person, what do you think? Wow. Wait, wow. I'm sorry. Um, you know that I'm still heartbroken. Oh, wow. I mean, this was really devastating to me. Um, I, 
I don't know that we said that spontaneity would go away. I, I think that it's just opening up another avenue. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I said that, like, I think that, I think that dating will change. Um, but I don't, I don't really remember exactly what the conversation was. But also, but also the thing that I think I disagree with is that AIDS like had a huge long lasting impact, which I know Ryan says, but you know, it basically killed free love. Um, you know, large to this day, like uh, lots of gay men I know are basically terrified of HIV. And so there's drugs that, uh, count, uh, I forget what they're called prep and the, the other, word. uh, but basically they are defenses preemptively against HIV and like lots of gay men take them because they're, they're horrified and that allows them, gives them, you know, leeway to not, you know, to hook up with people and not necessarily always be terrified, but they're often terrified nonetheless. And so, you know, when it comes to like uh, stigma against unprotected sex, obviously people still have unprotected sex. Obviously, you know, uh, people still go on dating sites and fuck strangers or go on Grinder and fuck strangers. Obviously that still happens, but like it's clearly had a long lasting impact. And I'm not saying after the pandemic, you know, HIV is still around. COVID hopefully after a vaccine will not be prevalent in the way that HIV is. And so it's not going to have that long lasting impact, but I think people will possibly explore new ways of like interacting with the dating sphere is all we were saying. Yeah. And also to, to total fairness to Ryan, like I'm, I'm washed, man. The last time I was single, we didn't, I, I was, let me think. I was single right when Tinder came out and it was a thing that was only in a few East coast cities and like New York friends told me about it. And when I got on it in Baltimore, there was like three people on it. And like, we all just dated each other in a circle for two weeks and it got weird. Um, we, that's not true, Serby. That wouldn't happen. But, um, but no, so I, I totally confess to, to being washed. I've been in a relationship for a while and because I'm obnoxiously faithful, I don't go date on the side. Um, I do think what was said though, was, I think there was worry expressed about in general, you know, people losing that ability to kind of like organically and spontaneously have interactions right now, which isn't the fault of the people. It's just like under COVID, I'm not going to like walk up to someone in the grocery store, pull my mask down and be like, yo girl, what's up? Let me see what's in your basket. Um, but I think like if anything, and maybe this is, this is green with Ryan, I kind of think if we get vaccinated, once people shake off like 18 months of looking at every other human as a potential vector of disease, which I think is going to have a long-term psychological effect we're going to have to deal with, I think we might get back to the era of things being a little more organic. Like, I don't know, like I met my current partner by like happening to sit next to each other in a coffee shop and we just started talking because that didn't feel weird or intrusive. Um, and I, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Join join our Patreon and I'll tell you the whole story. But um, <laughs> but um, no one wants to hear that. But no, I think that, that maybe to, to Ryan's point, there could be a new golden era of organic social interaction because we're all going to miss that. And maybe once we get back and are at coffee shops and, and bars and like underground sex clubs again, we're going to want to have those fun conversations and get to know people. So I, I hope you're right. And I'm sorry if, if at least two of us who are just washed and our opinions are trash. I apologize for that. I also want to hear more about why Alex shouldn't hike, but I guess I'll ask him off air. Uh, Ryan was basically like, correctly, like you're the most precautious person on air. Uh, yeah, like I'm a regularly a germaphobe anyway. And so, you know, like I don't leave my house as much, but called me a hypocrite for hiking, exposing these rural populations to COVID. And listen, if I was doing that in April when New York City was a hot spot and COVID hadn't spread all around the country, but New York City, first of all, there's no travel restriction. You know, there's like a free float. People are commuting 
from upstate New York into the city. They're going back. You know, farmers are coming to sell their shit. There's free flow between Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. And I'm getting in a car. I'm going to a trail. I'm wearing my mask, which the local people don't do. And it's not like I'm bringing my big city germs there. Like New York City has had, well, recently it's going back up again. And I will reevaluate this behavior. But like had one of the lowest COVID rates in the world, like possibly not the world. Sorry. The world's doing great. The country. And so, I don't know, I feel like it's not bringing my big city germs, going on a trail, wearing a mask, stepping aside more than six feet when people are, are there. It's not like I'm going to Burger King and coughing on everyone. Uh, and so, I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't want to get into this whole thing because it's such a lame argument, but Ryan no, was mad at me. No, I brought it up. I did. But, you know, but I, either way, I appreciate this, and I think everyone should know, you can disagree with us. We can disagree with you. To get back to the Thanksgiving and Christmas thing, we're family and family can love each other without always seeing the same way. So I hope you know when you email us, when you call us, you're not trying to suck up to us. We're not trying to suck up to you. Let's be real with each other, okay? But let's do it in a spirit of knowing that no one's perfect and we're all trying our best to, to you know, live up to the spiritual perfection that we see around us. So, you know, Alex going to try better, Ryan. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on him. He's going to try better. I, I want We're people <laughs> to let me know if they think I'm trash for hike. Cause I, I feel like Ryan respectfully, Ryan, I believe you're wrong about the hiking thing, but if 20 people email me and tell me I'm trash for going upstate and yes. hiking, I, I want that feedback. Yeah. So culture midget wisecrack.co 213-534-8807. Answer questions like, is Alec trash for going hiking? Um, are we washed for thinking that COVID is going to make dating weird? Do you know a really cool Italian guy that's looking to meet a really great person that I don't know Serbia could talk about because earlier she made a comment about wanting to meet Italian guys. I don't know. Use our email to get this. I think Serbia's now going to say, please don't do that. I was going to say, if you've been to a sex club, please let me know, because I've, I've always been very curious. Um, a friend of mine and I have talked There's about There's underground sex and- clubs in LA right now that are staying open illegally that celebrities go to. I saw it on this Instagram account I follow. I can't Whoa. get too into it, but it's happening. Really? It's real. I have all the info. I know the password. I'll give you the password. You show up. You knock three times. You say... Is this peanut butter M&M's. Um, the, the last three things I said are false, but there really are underground sex clubs that are, uh, I guess, a lot of celebrities go to in L.A. that have illegally stayed open. I'm sure a lot of places have this. So if you know about sex clubs, call and write us. We'd love to hear about that from an anthropological perspective. Just don't say anything too weird. Um, that said, <laughs> besides emailing and calling, if people just want to see what you have to say, if they want to know what you think about the hot topics of the day, where can they find you online? Serby. Oh, Suri Patel 22 on Twitter. Alec. I'm on Twitter at Wisecrack Alec. Make, make all dumb jokes. Your Twitter's great, though. What's your Twitter? My Twitter is not great. Uh, Michael O. Burns. And then uh, Instagram's the same thing. I just have underscores on both sides of the O. Um, so come find us there. Come talk to us. And most importantly, come back in. Wait a second. Are we going to be here in two weeks? Because that's Thanksgiving week. Uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it two, out. We'll, two-ish weeks. We'll, we'll be back soon. We'll be back in two-ish weeks. Right? Call. We love you. Thanks for being here. We missed you. And we'll be back then. Later, guys. <laughs>